Welcome back to Ask Canadian 6. This is your November episode. Uh, we have some interesting things lined up for you. We are going to be talking. So we are recording this uh, before anything is being forward about the cabinet, who's going to be in the cabinet. So we're going to share some of our picks and some of our speculation. We're going to talk about what November means to six. We're going to talk about how the World Sick Organization is going to be observing the beginning of November. And we are going to talk about the municipal elections in Calgary and Edmonton. And last time we had a guest co-host returning, Jaskar and Sandhu. And this time we brought back tried and tested and true Edmonton resident, Harmon. So welcome back. I'm very excited to be back. Uh, I had my fellow Pantek Monad, Jaskar and Sandhu, pinch hit for me, but, <laughs> but I'm here and uh, pleased to be joining you again. I don't think, I mean, I, it, this is not a visual medium, so we have a lot of people who keep their case, we have people who don't keep their case. I don't know if we were a visual medium that people would have been able to tell this. We swapped you out for Discarn. <laughs> Offenses? <That's right>. <laughs> no offense taken. For those for whom politics are like sports, you get to do all of your speculating. You get to see what this election meant for Justin Trudeau and who he is going to pick for his cabinet. We're obviously interested in Canadian Six and what this means for us and what it means for the community. So any folks you're excited to see, Herman, or anyone you're hopeful is going to make it into cabinet this round? Because we, we have a couple of um, people who aren't coming back this round. Yeah, you, you've got some change that's going to be happening. A lot of speculation out there about, who, you know, who's going to make up the new cabinet. Uh, you know, Amarji Soe just became mayor here in Edmonton, and people will remember that he was a significant part of the cabinet from 2015 to 2019. Um, you know, Alberta is looking to to have some representation. Going into this, I think everybody was speculating that, you know, if George Shahal was able to win in Calgary, that he would be the guy. And I think there's still a lot of people who are eager to see George um, be appointed. But given, you know, the recent controversy around the the flyer incident. So if many of our listeners will remember in the dying days of his successful campaign, um, he was caught on video on a bell camera uh, taking out a flyer of his opponent. Unfortunately for him, it's pretty visible that it was George. The explanation is very straightforward, which is, he understood the flyer to have misinformation on it. Um, so he replaced um, his opponent's flyer with his own. Uh, and, you know, now he's cooperating with authorities. The, the challenge for, for George is that while he's under investigation, I think it's going to be really tough for the prime minister to include him, even though he is the strongest um, choice out of Alberta. But from a community perspective and from a sick perspective, you know, strongest George, or only? I mean, what what are we looking at in terms of if you were to, if you were a liberal and you're you're looking for a minister and you're looking to have balance across the country? That's I mean, it's slim pickings out there. Yeah, you know, we've got a, a, an MP in Edmonton who's returning after being out for a couple of years, Randy Boissonneau in Edmonton Center. Uh, Randy, you know, I think was a road scholar. He, he has some some credentials but had been left out in the 2015-2019 period. And, and my understanding is that, you know, he's not a popular pick with the Prime Minister's office. You know, George really was the star candidate in, in Alberta, and his star is still very bright. I mean, he's put a lot of work in over the last four years as a municipal councillor. 
uh, to, to really move things forward. And he's been seen as being extremely progressive. Um, I would have wagered had he run for mayor in Calgary instead of Jyoti Gondek that he probably had as good of a chance as hers is winning. You know, they come from a very similar spot in terms of their politics and a lot of the work they did. Uh, I know that, you know, they, they can work very well together. But, you know, now with the controversy, with the investigation, and don't forget, George was somebody who stood up during uh, the past couple of years about, you know, uh, issues with police, you know, reallocating resources. There is uh, a speculation that, you know, this investigation by the anti-corruption unit of the police as some type of retribution and political retribution. Yeah, so if George spoke out against the police, if if Trudeau wants to put him in cabinet as a minister, can't do that until the investigation's over. The police, I'm not saying that they would be investigating in bad faith, but they're in a situation where they could draw out an investigation against someone who has spoken out against them and sabotage a really big move for him. Because, I mean, this investigation is not that complicated. It's a very straightforward... (laughs) I mean, respectfully, he's literally on camera. Like, there's no... There's, it's him. He did it. He's saying he did it. He's explaining why he did it. There's not much left. That's right. And and so I'm not sure why this is taking so long to kind of go through the process. Um, I feel for George. I don't think this is, you know, I, I, again, I understand a lot of people are frustrated um, with him taking, taking this flyer out. But, you know, George has the capacity to go on to great things. So I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, while I don't think we see him included in this iteration of cabinet, that we will see him at some point. Um, but beyond that, you know, the real person that I'm looking at, and I think the focus should be as a community, is on Ruby Sohota. Ruby Sohota mm-hmm. has been a great constituency level MP. She's somebody who's engaged in good faith with the community. Probably the only Liberal MP who's in, uh, engaged in, in a, you know, an ongoing effort to be good faith with the community, um, and and would love to see her be able to play a more expanded role in cabinet. Yeah, uh, she's my. I mean, full disclosure, she's. Uh, but before I moved to, uh, I'm in Bill Blair's writing now. But I was in th- that writing. Like she was my MP. She's hundred percent. She's a solid person. She can, she her door is open. Her emails are open. The lines of communication are open to the community. Um, when we were talking about being on the terror report, she was still she was one of the few people that was still engaging with us and still talking to us in the so someone who's been really, really solid to their constituents, really, really solid to their community. How does that play out? Is that a benefit or sometimes I feel like it's something that brings you down in the eyes of like a larger party where you have to toe the party line. What do you think? Do you think that puts her in the good or bad graces of Justin Trudeau? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I think that she would be such an asset given the fact that so many of the sick ministers have been uh, disconnected from community and shown that they don't understand the dynamics uh, and has led to, you know, Justin Trudeau finding himself in a very tenuous uh, relationship with the sick community um, where he's not had good intelligence or good intel in understanding the concerns of the community. Um, he would be well served by having somebody who actually has some connection and good faith relationships with community rather than um, some of the, the ministers that he has there now. It's unfortunate. We've seen over the years um, a lot of sick MPs and ministers have had, I don't know if you want to call them scandals, or it, it hasn't exactly been smooth sailing for six and six who are close to Justin Trudeau. And I think, I mean, I I respect Ruby. I She's scandal-free. Um, there's also, 
uh, I think she's not within all of these dynamics, community dynamics, party dynamics. She experiences sexism from every which direction. And I think um, I've seen her like she's got thick skin because the things people say about her, the ease with which they talk about her as a mom. And I mean, I've heard things like she shouldn't be doing this. Who's going to raise her kids? And I've never heard that said about um, a male uh, sick MP. And so there's, and I know that like the opportunity she gets and the the chances she gets and the conversations she's in and out of are all impacted by her gender. So I would be really excited to see her have her shot at cabinet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, she's proven herself as as an MP. Um, She's been very outspoken. She, um, you know, is is very good in, in, in being able to communicate. Um, I think she would really shore up a lot of the weakness that they have in terms of having somebody who's real um, and it can actually convey a message to to people. She's willing to, to engage with people where they are. Um, you know, and I again, I, you're right. If this, this uh, prime minister is serious about addressing issues like sexism, he needs to actually, you know, make that more meaningful. And so, you know, Ruby Sohola would be somebody who would actually serve him well and serve this country well. Uh, as somebody who would be a cabinet uh, position, but you know, again, like a lot of a lot of what's going to drive this is, you know, how do they how do they kind of deal with sluggish economic growth? How do they deal with some of the bigger factors that are playing out um, in terms of this cabinet and rebuild some of the bench strength that they've lost over the past uh, several years? Right, um, you know, Justin Trudeau's had a struggle keeping some of you know the the bigger players that have been part of his cabinet, and he now needs to nurture some new leadership. Agreed. Anyone else that you're excited about or anyone of note, even if it's not someone in cabinet, but just anyone that stands out to you? Well, I think, you know, it, there's going to be a lot of the stuff that stays the same, right? You're going to see Christia, uh, Christia Freeland. Christia Freeland kind of stay, yeah. yeah, she's going to kind of stick around. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's going to be a big part of this moving forward. I mean, you know, we, we all kind of joke, but, uh, you know, Freeland really is the real prime minister of Canada in some ways. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, Harjit Sajjan, does he survive? Um, it's a portfolio he's had since day one. Uh, you know, but you saw a lot of the scandal and the allegations of misconduct. Um, does that mean that he's he's going to be pushed out or he gets reshuffled? He's been there for a long time. Uh, and and I, I'm curious or not uh, whether Trudeau wants to kind of go into, uh, into a, different, uh, a different direction. Same with some and Harjit, other- inher- Harjit inherited such a huge mess. And, and how much of that is his doing? How much of that is stuff that he's forced to respond to? I think the, I've sometimes I think I don't have it in me to be shocked anymore. But the stuff that keeps coming out about the Canadian military, person after person, allegation after allegation, um, he it depends on his energy and his approach and how he's because whether or not he is complicit or directly responsible for those things he is going to the person that going to be the person that has to keep responding to them yeah no doubt you know and and that's so much of what happens with with cabinet ministers right they get left holding the bag for somebody else or or for a lot of the things that they're not um responsible for and and that's i think what you're going to see with some of the other portfolios right mark garneau and foreign affairs um what's going to happen you know that's been something that you've had a lot of cycle through. Um, so no, it, it's going to be an interesting um, new phase because I think, you know, Trudeau ran this election on, on a way forward and bringing people together. Uh, how does he reflect that in the cabinet he has um, moving forward? It's November. November is 
always a challenging time for six. It's a time where we remember the pogroms in Delhi. We remember the genocide. We remember all of the six that went through so much. How we remember has changed over the years. Um, how we observe. Baltic organization last year ran a campaign called hashtag they live here. Harman, did you participate in this last year? Um, I, I think I participated. Um, I think my wife did. Yeah. So we did. Yeah, I definitely did. I know we had folks from everywhere. Look up the hashtag hashtag. They live here. And hopefully you'll get to see some of the stuff that we did last year. Um, so we found ourselves in a pandemic. Uh, in a remote, we couldn't exactly be, you know, outside gathering or go to a vigil or hold a program inside. And some of our wonderful volunteers came up with this idea that we would light a candle and put it outside all of our homes. We all took pictures. We put the pictures online. Um, it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to get choked up talking about it because I'm so moved by this. Um, we had to hide in November of 84 People were given census lists. People were told where six were, hunted six down, um, set them on fire and murdered them and sought them out. And not only is this an act of remembering, but it's an act of resistance to mark our own homes, be able to put a candle on our porch and to be able to say, I live here, they live here, we live here. And we are not in this place anymore. And so we're able to say for those people who weren't, who had to hide to survive, um, who had to make sure their homes didn't look like their homes, to be in a position to say, no, we are here. Um, that's And we're going to be doing that again this year. So we did want to take some time and talk about it on the podcast to make sure everyone knew. So when it shows up on your social media, you also know that you can participate even if it's just for a photo op, and I, I say that with full seriousness because there's fall leaves out there and please don't burn your house down and putting a candle outside. Or if you have some safe way to do it, please do it safely. Um, or if you want to just leave your porch light on, you can do that as well. Uh, please make sure you keep an eye out for those. Um, Harmon, what about, what? so you've got, I mean, you've got your kids are younger and are you starting to talk about these things? And do you see this a way, as a way to engage with them in a way that they might understand? You know, so I've, my oldest is six years old and it's definitely, you know, he's now coming to an age where he starts to, starts to understand, you know, fairness. He starts to understand concepts of justice. Um, and, you know, people who are, are, you know, the victims of, 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 you know, oppression. And so it's a delicate issue. And I think it's one of those things that we need to, to continue to, raise these issues and, and help our children understand. Um, and these types of initiatives, like they live here, I think last year, um, you know, we reached over 4 million people with the campaign. And so it's so important to find ways to be able to mark this um, and and definitely keep the, the memory alive. But also, you know, as you kind of really focused on, which is the, the part, which is the resilience part of it, um, is to, you know, kind of challenge um, these notions of, um, you know, uh, and challenge the darkness, right? As just once in cholera, uh, so so aptly had said, you know, that you know, using the light to, to challenge, um, you know, that is is so so sim- symbolic uh, for so much of what drives uh, activism. And, and you know, so for me, I think it's really important that we continue to to mark this. And you saw last year we had you know kind of solidarity around the community. 
um, politicians from from all walks, you know, um, from the NDP leader in Ontario to Tim O'Pol to Ruby Sohota, you know, you 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 had people all rally around this, and and it became a great way for people during COVID to kind of come together and still stay connected as a community to to remember and and challenge these things. So I think it's very important that that we continue to you know mark these events and and also kind of keep these campaigns going. I think that's so important. Like this was something that when we experienced it last year, we weren't expecting to engage with so many people online. It it went way farther than we thought it would. It was so brilliant to see other people pick it up as well. But that it was also a nonpartisan thing that we saw folks from different parties coming forward, sharing, being a part of observing this with us. Um, sometimes it seems like these, I mean, our lives are politicized and genocide is political. Uh, and we see those things happen so quickly. It's also very heartening to see when it happens the other way and we can recognize strengths in different parties. I think that's one of the things I've learned working with WSO is that things are not as black and white as they are politically. Um, as, as I was taught they were when I was growing up. For example, by the way, did you see that Jean Chrétien uh, comment on um, residential schools? Yeah, Jean Chrétien not doing himself any favors. I don't know if he's getting... So, folks, look it up if you haven't seen it. Jean Chrétien, he's promoting his new book. So if you have this, like, idea that, like, oh, um, conservatives are like this and liberals are like this and that maybe liberals are the ones that are more likely to recognize genocide, um, maybe hasn't been true in in WSO experience or in my WSO experience. And uh, Jean Chrétien said that he went to boarding school and it wasn't that bad. And yeah, it was the food was bad and stuff, but it wasn't that bad. He had to go because you can't get into a good university in Quebec unless you're in a boarding school. Uh, comparing boarding schools to residential schools, just mind blowing. Um, and he also said that while he was um, while he, that he never while he was in power, no one ever told him that anything bad happened at residential schools. And we're talking about like the last residential school closed while he was prime minister. He was part of writing the white paper. Like, this is someone who is so present and Indigenous voices were loud and were saying things. And how, honestly, how shocking that that no one ever told Jean Chrétien that bad things happen at residential school. Yeah, it, it's pretty shocking. I mean, he talked about these comments from when he was minister of, of then what was called Indian Affairs. And that was from the period of time of 1968 to 1974. I mean, it's almost, he must have been willfully ignorant or willfully chose not to understand what was happening in Indigenous schools for him to be able to say that. Again, irrespective, how do you go back and, and make a comment when we know what the truth is? For him to try, for him to now step in and make these comments is now in the face of what we know history to be. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if he was trying to make the comments to now absolve himself of any accountability or responsibility, but, it, you know, what he really did was try to undermine the truth of what we now know um, and diminish, you know, so much of what's come out. And so I think it, it was a poor choice, but more so, you know, him interjecting himself as a former prime minister into this conversation is is actually undermining um, you know, the way forward. And I think it's it's embarrassing, especially in an era where we've discovered, you know, these graves. Um, we just marked a national day of, of a reconciliation. Um, 
you know, th- this, th- he needs to be condemned um, in the strongest language possible for interjecting himself into this conversation. And, and we're at the point that we're recording this, this is, this is kind of news. And so maybe by the time you hear it, I'm hoping by the time you hear it, the, his PR machine and his people will have written an apology and he will have walked it back a little bit, but that's, that's where we're at now. So anyways, bringing it back, um, make sure that you keep an eye out on WSO social media. Uh, we're all, we're at world sick org, no matter where you are, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I think we're on LinkedIn as well. Um, Find us, follow us. We're going to start putting out promotional material for the hashtag they live here. Please join us as we observe um, November of 1984 at the start of this November. Please take the time to, to sit with your family and to sit with your kids, no matter how young or old they are, to sit with everyone you can, to listen to stories of survivors. Um, yeah, and just, just be present and participate with us. Last but not least, our big topic for this podcast, the Calgary and Edmonton elections. Now, Harn Condola, would you happen to have, were, were you, did you know this was happening? Were you like, what were the last, what were the last few months like for you? Yeah, no, it's been, um, of course, I've got some personal knowledge. I was involved myself. I ran as a candidate in a municipal election here in Edmonton. Uh, so I definitely have some some good insights into the provincial, sorry, for, into the municipal elections that happened here in Alberta. First of all, you know, congratulations to Amarjeet Sohi and Jyoti Gondek, both um, individuals with Punjabi um, heritage. So big moment for for a lot of the Punjabi community. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people for you know might be learning of Jyoti Gondek for the first time. She's been a city councillor for the previous four years, uh, ran an incredibly strong campaign. And, you know, it's very exciting for people to kind of like learn more about her and her own personal journey and her own personal history. Um, I was pretty shocked when I saw a video like she's she's completely, you know, fluent in Punjabi and and she actually speaks really highly of her her roots. Uh, So really special, uh, I think, for the Canadian Punjabi community. I don't know, um, you know, enough about uh, her background when it comes to, you know, uh, from a Sikhi perspective. But, you know, from Amarji, so he uh, he's on the record of saying that he's from a from a Sikh family. Uh, and, you know, I, I'll leave it at that. But a uh, big moment in Alberta um, for, you know, a lot of minority communities and celebrating uh, what a lot of people think is a very conservative place, electing very progressive yeah, mayors. Yeah, so this is what I was going to, this is my Toronto bias. I apologize to all my um, Calgary and Edmonton people. But just for people like me, where I, I look I look out to y'all, I look west and I see you all, um, and think, how do you end up with, like, Nadinenshi? How do you end up with Jyoti Gondak? What is your sense of our surprise and why do you think they have like there are these progressive leaders you know big city uh, alberta is not a lot different than big cities anywhere else in canada um you know the populations that live in these places are, are quite diverse they're they're um you know they're becoming more and more progressive people forget that alberta is is the same place that elected an ndp government you know back in 2015 uh, while things have kind of swung in a different direction, currently the NDs are polling uh, very strongly right now. In fact, you know the provincial uh, UCP is, is is probably at its lowest ever. 
in terms of, you know, uh, a conservative government uh, in Alberta. So there's a lot of waves of change and a lot of waves uh, towards, you know, more progressive issues. But municipal politics tends to be progress- more progressive irrespective of kind of where you are. Uh, you know, my experience was that, you know, property taxes was probably almost never discussed at, at a door. Um, people are really interested in seeing their day-to-day lives improve. Uh, and, you know, a lot of progressive politics really speaks to that. And so that was a message that was really compelling, uh, especially, you know, kind of a post-COVID world. People are looking for leadership and it's heartening to see that they've chosen it, you know, in both Sohi and Gondak. Um, but in both cases, you had a split, you know, with with um, kind of more right-leaning candidates. In Calgary, you had uh, Jeff Davidson, you had a guy, Jeremy Farkas, um, you know, who kind of split a bit more of the center-right vote. Similar in Edmonton, you know, you had a kind of a far right-wing candidate, uh, Mike Nickel, who's kind of split some vote with uh, a couple other more center-right campaigns. So the path was there for both of these candidates to win. Now, I think we really need to distinguish Jyoti for what she does in the first few days of becoming mayor. Mm. You know, number one, she declares a climate emergency um, and says, you know, and really signals to everybody that she's going to be the one who takes climate change seriously in Alberta for the first mm. time. Uh, too many of us live in denial out here. Uh, and number two, she refuses to um, swear in Sean Chu, who so is... powerful. Yeah. So kind of give our listeners a background. Sean Chu was a, a counselor um, who got reelected by the smallest of margins. A few days before the election, uh, an investigation report comes out that speaks to his time as a police officer in Calgary, where he engaged... Um, with a minor, um, he he sexually assaulted a minor, and um, you know was reprimanded, given a reprimand by police um, at the time. You know, never faced criminal charges. Um, I think the um, the victim was 16 years old at the time. He, you know, this is not the first time there's an allegation of him. Um, you know, kind of using his his weapon, uh, his police issued weapon as. Um, you know, as an intimidation tactic in both situations. And so, you know, there's been protests in the streets of Calgary against Sean Chu, asking him to resign. And as a mayor-elect, uh, Jyoti has stood up uh, and and basically said that she was not going to attend his swearing in and that he should resign, uh, which is, you know, I think such a powerful thing to do. Uh, right and sometimes I feel like folks just kind of sit in the middle and they don't commit to anything. And I always find that the leaders that make the biggest impression and the ones that are going to get you one way or another are the people that actually take a stand on things. So after seeing like, especially with like bill 21, no one taking a stand on anything, how refreshing to see someone say, and it's so simple, right? Like it's someone who is a police officer who assaulted a minor. Like these are not difficult issues. These are not things that there's no gray area here, but you see politicians who will Pie and wait it out or not do something immediate. And yeah, really, really, really powerful to see her say she's not going to participate in his swearing in ceremony if he shows up on Monday. Yeah. And like, like you said, I mean, she's, she's now set the tone for, you know, where um, council in Calgary is going to continue to go. Um, again, you made a really good point. You know, prior to her, we had Nahad Nechi in Calgary, but we also had Don Iveson, who was seen as a progressive here in Edmonton as mayor. Um, and there's been this really vocal minority group of right-wing business that, that has been rallying against them. But again, you saw the populations in both these cities 
vote, you know, for, for progressive candidates. Now, the difficulty being is that even at school board levels or even council levels, we're not seeing diversity necessarily reflected at those levels. While we do see success in, at the mayoral, mayoral level, um, it's unfortunate that, you know, we, we're not necessarily seeing that across the board, and especially at school board levels. You know, the Edmonton Public School Board, I think, only has one non-white um, representative. And it, it's really important for people to start thinking about these issues and saying, you know, yeah, representation uh, matters in some ways, but, you know, there's there's different levels of government that, that I think uh, we need to be more interested in. And the school board is a huge part of that. And so many of the issues that I heard um, from the doors and from concerns from community were related to school board issues, um, issues that even municipal councils really don't have jurisdiction over. And so yet the, you don't see the engagement by the community with the school board trustee elections. Uh, we try to raise that quite a bit this election, you know, and, and people starting to understand, you know, the role of school board trustees, but there is a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, in Edmonton, seeing Amarjeet Sohi kind of become councillor, you know, I think a lot of people are excited. I know the community in Edmonton is, is quite excited, but we've got to remember that, you know, Amarjeet was part of a, a liberal government that, um, you know, initially defended the public safety report that demonized Canadian mm-hmm. Six, um, you know, and, and also, you know, what, a government that delayed action on the Afghan Sikh and Hindu refugee issue, all issues that I think, you know, we have not seen successfully kind of resolved. Um, you know, and, and again, I he's, he's run on a campaign of ending racism, putting a 100-day um, action plan forward to deal with things like racism. But I'm not sure, you know, a lot of these yeah, issues... Yeah, I maintain def- that. I, I'm so frustrated when liberals try and end racism because I'm like, you made us terrorists when we didn't do anything. So... If you want to end racism, start with a mirror. So it's very, it's very difficult to hear, yeah, that, he, that he's coming out with this. I mean, I'm going to give him the same opportunity that I give everyone else. I'm going to judge him for what he does. But, yeah, he doesn't necessarily come from – he doesn't exactly have a great track record. Yeah, and, and I think what you see um, – and I, I don't think this is very controversial, but you see candidates who have success who, who, who are white adjacent. Um, and, and are able to kind of successfully navigate being um, uh, kind of amenable or at least um, not a threat to, you know, whiteness. Palatable. Yeah, yeah like absolutely. They, 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 I just, just they, they can, the white people and the white institutions can handle them. They're not threatening. And I think that's a bit of what we see in, in some of these results um, is that, you know, people who are a bit more outspoken, um, you know, will we'll struggle because it's it, there's a fear there. And, and what you've seen in, in at least in Edmonton was um, the beneficiaries of so much of the desire for diversity are really white women. Um, and while that's gone a long ways to, to dealing with the gender um, equity conversation, you're not necessarily seeing that in, in, other, in other expressions of identity, um, which, which is an interesting kind of um, side effect. But something that I think we can all expect, given that research is very clear that most equity-seeking initiatives really benefit um, white women more than anyone else. Thank you for tuning in this week. That's our episode. Uh, please make sure you follow us on all of our social media. We are at World Sick Org. No matter where you go, look us up. Please make sure you, again, join us at the start of November. 
as we go through and observe and remember, and we use the hashtag, they live here. Um, we can't do this without you, without your support. So please make sure you head on over to our website and consider making a one-time donation or <clears throat> even better, become a monthly donor. Uh, we should start, Harmon, we should start doing like um, incentives. So like if people, uh, if you if you sign up and let them know it's because of the podcast, we'll, we'll give you special shout outs on our next episode to all, all of our loyal, loyal listeners. Um, yeah, so please head over and donate, follow, and follow all of the amazing work that's happening over here at WSO. And we'll see you again and catch you again next month with more topics that hit the intersections of being Canadian, being sick, and being political. Until then... Wahigurji ka khalsa, Wahigurji ki fatah.